Welcome to My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. Are you on track for a secure retirement? If things go badly in the markets, will my nest egg still last? How do changing tax rules impact consumer savings and spending strategies? How do I know my financial advisor is competent and ethical? How do I organize my financial life? We'll answer important personal finance questions like these and so much more. And we'll do it in a way that makes a dry, arcane topic engaging and entertaining. And now, here are your hosts, JR and Jessica. Aloha and welcome to My Two Cents. I'm Jessica Lani Rich and I'm here in Honolulu, Hawaii with my co-host, J.R. Robinson. J.R. is the owner and founder of Financial Planning Hawaii and he's also the co-founder of software maker Nest Egg Guru. Well, J.R., it's been quite a week since our last show. What do you make of all the election drama? Uh, well, first, hi, Jessica, and, and thank you, as always, for that uh, intro. It's, as I can't tell you enough times, but it is a great pleasure to host this show with you. And um, to answer your question, you know, it, it may sound kind of funny, but the days following Election Day sort of reminded me of that um, 1990s Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day, where... You know, <laughs> Every, I wake up every morning. I'm a creature of habit, so I pretty much have a Groundhog Day r- routine. But each morning, I come to my office with my Starbucks coffee in my hand, and I sit at my desk. And every day, I turn on the news to start my day. And every day for four or five days in a row last week, it was I get up and I turn on the TV, and I'm looking at the exact same man in front of the big in front of the big map of the United States that was mostly blue and mostly red with a couple with five or six little gray states on it. And every day, that's what that was what I would see when I when I'd come in. It, it was. Um, just like the same thing every day. And you was wondering how long it was going to go on. Right. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was uh, obviously an unusual election cycle, but, um, and I, I feel like the events of last week and I uh, have, well, I feel like the events have sort of been keeping with what the entire vibe has been for the year. And I, I don't know about you, but if, if you asked me for, you know, to name what were the memorable events that happened in 2010 or 2013 or you know, most years for that matter. Um, I'd probably have to come up empty in that response. I just, they all kind of run yeah. together and I don't remember what happened when, but um, I think we will all remember the events of 2020, including the presidential election for a very long time. And every, everything about this year has been so surreal and dystopian that um, I think it will be permanently etched into our memories. Absolutely. I mean, 2020 is just an unbelievable year. And I agree with you, JR. These are strange times indeed. And I'm sure you get that question all the time. But I have to ask, given all that has happened over the past week, how do you as a financial planner prepare people's portfolios for this? (laughs) Um, You're right. Actually, I do get asked that question a lot. In fact, uh, sort of funny story. On election day, uh, I received a call from a reporter at uh, wealthmanagement.com, and he asked me that exact same question. He called me at 5 a.m., which I think he wasn't really keeping in mind the time difference between Hawaii and and, uh, where he was on the East Coast. But um, but anyway, yeah, he asked me the exact same question. And so what did you tell him? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, my, my response prob- probably wasn't the sexy answer that he was looking for, but it's uh-huh. a mantra that sort of served me well over the over the 30 years that I've been in this business. And and that is um, that it's generally foolish to make portfolio adjustments 
in anticipation of unpredictable events. And as we've seen in the last two presidential elections, not only are the outcomes unpredictable, uh, but the impact of the winner of the election on the investment markets also really defies prediction. So um, I'll give you an example. I mean, the, the um, when President Trump first won his uh, election in 2016, um, mm-hmm. stock the stock market futures prediction for the next day after the election um, were suggesting that the market was going to open up down. And um, a lot of people thought that this was going to be a disaster for the stock market. And I think we've seen over time that there's actually a big disconnect between politics and how the, how the stock market and the, and the economy function. But um, in the New York Times the morning after, Paul Krugman is a Nobel Prize winning economist and a, and a frequent columnist or has a column for the New York Times. Um, he said, you know, um, people have been asking me what I think the outlook is for the stock market and, and when the stock market will recover, because again, it was predicted to open up significantly down that morning. He'd clearly written his piece before the market actually opened. And um, it did open down, um, he, he, but he was asked, you know, when do you think it'll get recover? And he said, if, honestly, if you have to ask me, I, I'd say never is what he said. And by the end of wow. that day, the stock market ended up sharply. And obviously for the last several years, it's been, uh, or for the last few years since the election, it's obviously done reasonably well up and uh, up, well, even through, through now. Um, and it's not, I'm not sure that the, it's the president who can take a lot of credit for that. It's simply what happened. And it's just an example of how it's very difficult to predict. Now, the same thing sort of happened in this election cycle, where a lot, there was a number of articles that were written suggesting that um, while um, uh, a, a Democrat victory, the Biden victory uh, might actually signal a downturn for the economy because you expect higher corporate taxes and that sort of thing. Um, and what we saw on the first day of the election, when it looked like President Trump might actually have a shot at winning, the stock market was going up. So people said, well, that maybe signifies that. But then the next day, it was becoming increasingly clear that President Biden was going to win. The stock market kept going up. So um, and, and actually, as we've seen this week for a number of other reasons, um, you know, the, certainly the uh, possibility of a vaccine for the coronavirus is really what's been driving the, the market much, much higher, uh, certainly on Monday. The... Um, so it's really impossible to predict the, the direction of the stock market and to make portfolio decisions based on what you think the outcome may be and what you think the outcome may even, you know, even to predict what the policy may be is very, very difficult. That is really interesting because I've definitely, like you, JR, I've seen a lot of articles lately in which financial advisors discuss the changes that investors should make before and after the election and highlighting industry sectors to buy or to sell, but you don't do any of that? Um, no, not really. I mean, while making bold and ambiguous predictions is, is actually pretty useful if you're trying to attract media attention, uh, you know, obviously headlines sell and, and, and unambiguity sells, but uh, there's little empirical evidence to suggest that people, including financial uh, planners like me are really any good at market timing. In fact, there's a, a large number of journal papers that suggest just the opposite, that making such predictions is actually, and, and, and taking action on them in terms of changing portfolio allocation can actually be harmful to investment performance. Well, that's really interesting. So your message to consumers is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is to ride it out. And if the stock market drops following an election, um, sort of, but not exactly. And and okay. I would say <laughs> uh, the problem with making portfolio adjustments based on um, 
moderately unpredictable events is that each bet um, that you make requires actually two correct predictions, and that is when to get out and when to get back in. And um, to illustrate this by example, I was I was hanging out on the hoops court um, uh, earlier this year in, in in the middle or end of March with one of my buddies, and which, as you may remember, that was actually a pretty bad time for the stock market. The the, the U.S. stock market dropped thirty seven percent from peak to trough in that one month. And my friend was telling me um, that he, his, his financial planner had had a bad feeling about COVID back in January, and he advised him to get out of the stock market. And he asked me if I did the same thing for my clients. And I, I gave him the same sort of spiel that I've been giving you, which is um, I looked at, and, you know, that I don't really time the market. I didn't, I haven't given that advice to anyone to get out and there is sort of to wait it out. And I could tell by the look on his face that he actually felt sorry for me. And he felt sorry for my poor clients that he that I didn't get them all out of the market. But the funny thing is, this is uh, where sort of how this philosophy is is evolved. Um, we had a similar conversation in June, and by that time, the stock market had actually rebounded quite a bit, um, although still short of where it was in its January or February peak. But um, uh, my friend said he was waiting for another pullback to get back in, and. I, I still hang out with him all the time. I don't raise the topic anymore because I think it might be actually a sore topic, but um, I'm pretty sure he's still waiting for that pullback. And I'm, I'm not being smug about it, but my conversation with him is a little bit also like Groundhog Day, where I've had front row seats over the last 30 years for some really extraordinarily volatile market environments. And I've seen the same story play out with consumers over and over again, where you know they get out thinking that it's a, a bad time and they they never really get an opportunity to get back in again. And the people who have, you know, have actually had the intestinal fortitude to simply hold it out have been rewarded 100% of the time. Sometimes it takes a lot longer than a month for things to get back, but you don't actually lose money if it actually, if you don't sell and it comes back above where you were, you're not going to lose money. So, um, you know, basically the idea is that it's generally a losing strategy to do, to engage in that sort of market timing behavior. And I, I'll be the first to admit, if, if somebody can do it, there aren't too many people, there are probably far more people who say they can do it than actually do. I'm telling you, I'm not one of those people who says they can time it. I definitely, your guess is every bit as good or better than mine in terms of when to get in and out. So um, at the same time, though, it doesn't actually mean that we do, do nothing. In fact, the whole idea in, in financial planning is that you know, we have no idea when the next big market drop will, will happen um, or, or how long it will last. But we do know that they happen all the time. We, you just we don't know what the cause will be. But it, there's always something. I've seen probably 20 market drops of 20% or more since I've been doing this. And uh, so I'd like to say exogenous shocks happen. And so um, they, that, that part we actually try to, to, to plan for. Yeah, I really appreciated that story that you just told. It, uh, it's a, it really is right on the mark as far as uh, your story about the stock market. And while we're speaking about the stock market and taxes, some people think that having a Democratic president and maybe a Democratic Congress may produce different financial outcomes for the stock market and for taxes. What do you think about that, JR? Um. It's a great question. I think it's actually a, a wonderful segue into our discussion topic for the day. Um, um, oh, before we actually just wanted to finish that thought on, um, I think you'd ask um, what I do to, um, to actually plan for, or I was supposed to answer the question, what I, what I do to actually plan for exogenous shocks. One of the things we do is because if we know things are going to happen or if we expect that bad things are going to happen is that you shouldn't have all of your hundred percent of your money in volatile assets in the stock market. So if you're, 
you know, if, if it's your retirement account, and you're 30 ways away, years away from retirement, maybe you can be almost entirely invested in stocks. If your retirement spending and you're in that decumulation phase of, of retirement, maybe it makes sense to have a number of years of spending banked so that you don't actually have to sell stocks when they're down. So you don't actually have to react. So I just wanted to finish that, that thought. Um, so that's how we plan. That's actually how we plan for it. It's not that we don't plan. Um, so, uh, but to get it back into your question about, um, does it make a difference whether it's a Democrat or, 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 or a Republican? Um, th- there's actually surprisingly little evidence to support that position and, and that tax policies aren't necessarily as tied to party lines as one might think. Um, and that there's this general perception, I think, that um, Democrats will always raise taxes and Republicans always cut taxes. But it's really much more nuanced than that. And when you look at um, history. The, there are a number of obvious examples of that. So like going back to the 1980, uh, 1988 uh, Republican National Convention when George Bush Sr. was running uh, post-Reagan, and he, he basically said, read my lips, no new taxes. Well, he had, a, he had to deal with a democratically controlled Congress in 1990, and part of a compromise, he signed into law a budget act that significantly increased taxes. So um, that's an example of a Republican president and, and um and, t- and tax increases. On the other side of that, um, Bill Clinton signed into act in his second term as obviously he was a Democrat, um, Taxpayer Relief Act of 1997. That was one of the largest tax reduction measures in modern history. Um, again, not necessarily a Democratic or Republican issue, um, but uh, even applying that to the, to the Trump presidency term, there's you know, a lot of hoopla that's been made about the tax reduction measure, the measures that were um, enacted under, under his presidency. And, but honestly, if you take a look at the details, it's not necessarily so crystal clear. So um, things like the elimination of personal exemptions, the imposition of the $10,000 limit on state and local tax deductions, uh, the elimination of the deductibility of tax preparation and investment management fees. These are all examples of measures that actually increase the taxpayers, uh, the, the tax bills for, for legions of Americans. And, um, but I would also mention that the biggest, and this is really flown under the radar, but the biggest tax increase that occurred under the Trump administration um, was the provision under the SECURE Act, which we'll talk about, that eliminated stretch IRAs. And uh, previously, non-spouse beneficiaries of IRAs could spread out the tax liability from um, their inherited IRAs over their lifetimes and just by taking out a nominal, you know, small required minimum distribution each year um, as dictated by a, an IRS actuarial table. And the SECURE Act eliminated that provision and basically requires non-spouse beneficiaries who are um, more than 10 years older than the IRA holder who died, that they must take out that money, all the money in that inherited IRA within 10 years of death. And often when it's children of the beneficiaries, for example, um, the kids will inherit the IRAs in their 40s or 50s, which is probably when they're in their peak earning years and in their highest marginal tax brackets. So the tax that will be owed on that money over a much shorter period of time than anticipated is much higher than we've been planning for when stretch IRAs, which have been in existence for decades, so that's a huge in- increase in taxes, and it's going to be a windfall for the government over the next probably couple decades if this law stays in, in place. And um, and that was very much a regressive tax policy. Uh, you know, that's a, the, probably the biggest tax increase we've seen in a very long time. So it's um, like I said, it's not as simple as Democrats raise taxes and Republicans increase it. Not at all. Wow, that is great information, and thanks for sharing all your 
wonderful worldly uh, advice with us today. And our topic today is time to rethink tax planning in portfolio management. And it's a perfect time of the year to do that. And we're going to have more with J.R. Robinson coming up right after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to my two cents we'd love to hear from you on the program today call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 if you'd rather send an email the email address is info at fphawaii.com now back to my two cents here again are your hosts jr robinson and jessica lani rich is a time to rethink tax planning strategies in portfolio management. We're here with J.R. Robinson. I'm Jessica Lani Rich. So we think about the word time as part of the title. Is this unrelated to the election, J.R.? Yeah, it's a, that's a, a perceptive question, and, and the answer is also nuanced. Um, 
So tax timing and market timing are actually two different matters. Um, each incoming administration tries to signal its party's tax policy before the general election. And so, you know, before President Trump was elected, he made it clear that he planned to reduce corporate income tax rates and to um, reduce uh, personal income taxes, or at least simplified the, the federal income tax code, and um, and to raise the estate and gift tax exemption limits, and um, his wishes did come to fruition to a degree um, with the help of a Republican-controlled Senate. And in this election, President Biden has signaled his intention to undo much of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act provisions. Um, but the wishes of the party and the executive branch can only go from wishes to reality with a democratic controlled Senate. And as we know, that's sort of um, up in the air too. So, you know, it is um, uh, to a degree, we can help clients plan tax strategy a little bit based on what we expect the incoming administration to do. Very different from trying to predict stock market direction or anything like that. Tax savings are different from um, investment performance returns. So, uh, That's, so, yeah. That sounds good, but can you help our listeners to understand how tax planning fits into financial planning? Yeah, I can. Um, and um, first of all, I, what I, I think it's important to have this little disclaimer uh, before I get too deep in the weeds, but um, the purpose of the fi- financial planner in all of this is to um, digest sort of the tax rules as they come out and um, raise client awareness of them. Uh, I should also say that we, I never, my job isn't to specifically, to give specific tax planning guidance to consumers or to my clients even, but to raise awareness of potential strategies that we then discuss with their CPAs and or their estate planning attorneys. Um, But you have to have that dialogue between them. Um, We're probably the ones who will raise awareness of of potential ideas, but um, uh, sometimes they make sense and sometimes they don't. And, um, we have these discussions with CPAs all the time, uh, but it's important to get their um, their feedback. And ultimately, they're the decision maker on whether uh, to go forward with the strategy or not. But um, I often say that tax saving strategies in, the, in, in my world are basically the low-hanging fruit in terms of ways that a financial planner can demonstrate value, real tangible value to, to his clients. Um, and there's a big perce- misperception, I think, among consumers that the value of a a financial planner is measured in terms of investment performance. So um, I actually think that that's total fiction. (laughs) Uh, While I regard it as my job to help people save and invest efficiently, um, by efficiently, I mean based upon academically supported principles of portfolio management. Uh, Obviously, we have zero control over over future investment outcomes. The market's going to do what the markets do. And sometimes they go down and sometimes they may may even remain depressed for a prolonged period of time. And all of that's beyond our control. Um, Alternatively, if a financial planner is aware of certain tax rules that can save clients money, that's actually real tangible. And, it, and it's often, but usually, but not always, um, far less ephemeral than investment returns. So um, from my perspective, I, I also often say that every time a new tax law is passed, it helps with my job security because it, um, it actually offers a new opportunity to find ways to, to save clients money. And uh, that said, I, I've also been saying lately that I should be careful what I wish for in terms of tax law changes, because we've had so many new drill changes in the last four years that it's all I can do to keep up, for, up with it myself. And um, 
the, you know, the, while the purpose of today's show is actually to inform our listeners about some of the low-hanging fruit, um, it, my ulterior motive was actually to refresh my memory of all the changes that have happened because it's really a lot to keep up with. Yeah, I see your point, JR, and I'm glad that you're going to have job security, by the way. <laughs> so, so where would you like to begin? Um, well, I, well, I was thinking it might be timely to summarize some, just some of the major tax law changes that were enacted um, in the, under the Trump administration, because obviously we're now shifting to a new administration. And my focus isn't necessarily to go into great deal about all of the rules, but rather to just highlight some of the provisions that were part of the new laws and that may be lesser known, but uh, that are definitely relevant uh, to many of the consumers for whom I work. So my basic outline for the show is to go through the um, three major tax acts in, in, in sort of chronological order, and then Maybe if we have time at the end, and I'm suspecting that we might not, um, to summarize them by by the by category type. But um, so the three major tax changes that we, we're going to touch on today would be the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, the Secure Act of 2019, and the CARES Act from this year, 2020 CARES Act. So those are those are the three I want to touch on. Wow, that's a lot of ground to cover. So why don't you tell us about the low-hanging fruit in the Tax Cuts and the Jobs Act? Yes, why don't I do that? So, uh, <laughs> why don't you? That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm here for. So, the, the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, or TCJA for short, is um, actually a, it's a fascinating and pretty complex piece of legislation that touched upon most major elements of financial planning, including income tax planning, retirement planning, education planning, and estate planning. And its primary stated purpose was to reduce corporate tax rates, I mentioned earlier, and to simplify the, the tax code for individual tax, taxpayers. And to this end, uh, corporate tax rates were reduced from a maximum federal rate of 35% to just 21%. Uh, and for individual taxpayers, the elimination or reduction of a number of deductions and the merging of personal exemptions into the standard deduction meant that millions of taxpayers would no, uh, would no longer benefit from itemizing their tax returns. And at both, you know, as a result, they don't have to, to file complex returns anymore. It, it saved both the time and expense of tax preparation for them. So the TCJA uh, reduced the number of marginal tax brackets and lowered the marginal tax rates as well. But because of the elimination of personal exemptions and the elimination of some popular deductions, whether individual taxpayers are now paying more or less than when they were before is, is sort of a mixed bag. It's not a, You can't just blanket say that, oh, everyone's taxes were lowered under the TCJA. Um, but um, since most of those changes are incorporated into the IRS code already and into, into the tax planning software that people use, whether it's TurboTax or whatever, um, there's really no need to spend a lot of time on, the, on those, going over those rules because they are what they are. Um, what I'd like to do instead, though, is to highlight some of the changes that created choices and opportunities for planning. Um, that and sounds good. It sounds, sounds like 2017 was a really busy year. <laughs> um, I, well, actually, it's worth mentioning that uh, uh, for um, the, the law was passed at the end of 2017. It actually went in and applied for the 2018 tax year. And um, some of the things that I wanted to, to touch on were um, the, uh, with respect to education planning, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, included a provision that permits tax-free 529 plan savings plan distributions for up to uh, $10,000 per year that may be used for private and, and 
private secondary and elementary school expenses instead of just, you know, before they were limited to college expenses. And um, this provision actually may be particularly helpful for families with multiple children and multiple plans. So if, you know, for example, uh, a child has excess funds in his or her 529 plan that won't be needed for college, the account owner, which is usually the parent or grandparent, could actually use that to change the beneficiary and use it for a, a younger sibling's um, Iolani tuition or Kamehameha tuition or whatever. So, um, so that was, um, it's, you know, it's particularly applicable in Hawaii because we have such a high percentage of our people in the state go to parochial schools or, or, you know, private schools in general. Um, another important rule change pertains to the, uh, elimination of the deduction for investment advisory fees. So prior to the TCJA, uh, many consumers who, pay for advice first via asset-based advisory fees, that is a, is a percentage of assets in investment accounts. Um, they would choose to pay for the fees for those accounts all from a taxable account, sometimes as a, a simple direct bill. And that included you know, the fees on IRAs and retirement accounts. Um, and because it was a, a deductible expense, they could just itemize it all as one, ex, as one expense. But post-TCJA, um, where it's no longer a deductible expense, it now often makes sense for people to pay the fees proportionally from their accounts. So if you have a large IRA, it makes sense, or a large qualified retirement account, it makes sense to have the account pay the advisory fees because you're paying it with pre-tax dollars. So again, that's a strategy that may make sense and may apply to a large number of people if they weren't aware of that, uh, that little, uh, it's not an opportunity, but a, a way to at least save some money in tax. Um, Another planning strategy that emerged uh, pertains to charitable giving. So the, elim- the elimination of the personal, um, of personal exemptions uh, means that it, it takes more allowable deductions, including charitable deductions, to exceed the standard deduction and actually gain a benefit from donating. So two common strategies that have emerged since the TCJA became law are, one, the idea of clumping donations that you, if you normally make a thousand dollar donation per year to do five years worth of donations, make it $5,000 all at one time to get the greatest value for that, um, for that deduction. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. Another was for people who are over age 70 and a half um, to, to allocate a portion of their RMDs to charitable expenses. So again, you're paying with pre-tax dollars. It, it's the equivalent of an above the line deduction. Um, and you can, Donate as much as you want up to if you're if you have to make a required minimum distribution up to a hundred thousand dollars of um, distributions for uh, charitable expenses. So it's another way to it's the equivalent of making a, a deduction. So uh, charitable wow. deduction. That so, that is really important information for millions of Americans that you're providing to us right now, Jr. Was there any important tax rule regulation in 2019? Um. Yeah, there were the 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 biggest one in 2019 um, was the Secure Act, which is um, short for the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act of 2019, and um, it it like the TCJA was a broad, far-reaching act, um, and its um, its provisions included. Things like 
increasing the age at which required minimum distributions from retirement plans must be made from age 70 and a half to age 72. It also eliminated the restriction on you know, people who are over age 70 and a half were not able to make um, IRA contributions, deductible IRA contributions, even if they had earned income. That has been eliminated. So you now can actually make deductible contributions, even if you have to take RMDs. Um, Another interesting provision was there's a a $5,000 penalty-free distribution from IRAs that are allowed for uh, qualifying birth or adoption expenses. So it can be handy for a lot of families and actually a really kind of neat idea. Um, And uh, also in the SECURE Act, uh, expanded the tax the the tax-free distribution rules for 529 plans to cover paying off up to $10,000 of student loan debt. And that's always been a sticking point where you couldn't use 529 plans to pay off student loans. But um, under the SECURE Act, you now can. And uh, it's a $10,000 maximum lifetime limit, not an annual limit, but at least it provides a little bit of help and relief on that. Um, And uh, let's see. So... um, with that, actually, I think maybe it's a good time to have our uh, have go to a break, and we'll uh, we'll resume that discussion because there's a lot more more to go over with the Secure Act after. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com/forward/slash/voiceamerica. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mac. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to my two cents we'd love to hear from you on the program today call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 if you'd rather send an email the email address is info at fphawaii.com now back to my two cents here again are your hosts jr robinson and jessica lani rich We've been talking about time to rethink tax planning in financial management with J.R. Robinson. I'm Jessica Lonnie Rich. And J.R., that brings us to the current tax year. We were talking about 2019 and the SECURE Act. As we discussed in the beginning, 2020 is such an unusual year for all of us who are Americans. And I'm sure, like millions of Americans and so far, as I don't really pay attention to the names of the various tax laws from one year to the next. But this year, however, is very different. And I think most of us, at least most of us have heard of the CARES Act. However, what does the acronym stand for? And what are the key provisions that were beyond the stimulus checks and the PPP loans that you can enlighten us further? Okay. So, um, I'll do my best. And the CARES Act stands for the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act of 2020. And um, like the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and like the SECURE Act, it is an extremely complex and far-reaching measure. Um, it's all, it's also very different from the prior acts insofar as that um, most of its provisions actually apply only to the 2020 tax year. And I want to go over some of those, but actually um, we're on break. I realized there were two provisions that I forgot to mention on the uh, one on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and one on the SECURE Act. So if you don't mind, I'll just uh, recap those for a second. Um, one thing I forgot to mention on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and it's really sort of a, a big, big deal, was that um, it doubled the federal estate tax limits uh, prior to um, Prior to TCGA, the limit was about five and a half million per person or 11 million per couple um, adjusted for inflation. Today, um, well, basically the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act essentially doubled that. And today the limit is 11.58 million per person or just over 23 million per couple. And so as such, under current, under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act now, um, for all but the wealthiest American families, federal, uh, not necessarily state tax planning, but federal estate tax planning is largely irrelevant. Um, and But it's important to note that many of the provisions in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, including the estate planning rules, are subject to a, subs, uh, to a sunset at the end of 2025, at which point, if, if Congress hasn't enacted differently, um, the rules would re- revert to the 2017 levels. And um, at the same time, uh, the Democratic platform included a provision that might um, this is a far from becoming law, but might actually reduce the federal estate tax limits back to $3 million. So when you wow. have started to think about things that in that those terms, in terms of tax planning, 
that Tax Cut and Jobs Act limits may actually be um, they're giving people incentive to actually think about tax planning now while the laws are still where they are. I mean, large gift transfers or asset transfers may make sense for certain circumstances, balancing you know, capital gains tax or income tax considerations with estate tax considerations. But um, it's that's a the IRS has announced that it will not seek a clawback for gift tax for tra- for asset transfers made while the current law is still in place. So from the perspective of expecting future lower estate tax rates, um, the current rates are definitely relevant um, and, and maybe a, a source of planning. Um, also on the SECURE Act, one thing I didn't mention was, and I, remember, well, I mentioned it briefly earlier, but I just want to re- reiterate, is that the elimination of stretch IRAs is a huge issue. Um, and it sort of it's one of those things where um, it re- causes financial planners to rethink the guidance that we were giving for the last several decades. Um, so we, the idea was that people would be able to spread out that tax liability. And when they withdrew from their retirement funds, they'd be in a lower tax bracket when they put the money in. That appears not to be the case. We do expect that marginal tax rates may be higher in the near term um, just because of the size of our national debt. And uh, it's not, not really a political issue. And also because, you know, the, these people who are inheriting IRAs now have to take out all the money within 10 years. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, so those are, um, that's what I wanted to uh, recap on the SECURE Act and the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Getting back to the CARES Act, um, I don't think we have time to go into um, the PPP loan details or the stimulus check payments much, uh, but there are a few pr- provisions that are definitely helpful to know from a str- strategic planning perspective. And chief among them are the new rules for qualified plan loans and IRA distributions in 2020. Uh, Notably, the CARES Act increased the amount that employees can borrow from 401k plans that permit the loans actually have to permit loans in order for it to work. But the loan amount that you can take has been increased from 50% of the account value up to to $50,000 to now 100% of the account value up to a maximum of $100,000. So these are loans that are, um, if the plan allows for loans, these and the COVID provisions are adopted by the plan, um, participants can now use that use that money um, and not have to pay a 10% penalty on it. Or, well, it's a loan. They'd actually have to be subject to loan repayment terms, but um, can actually take out more than more than before if they've been you know, impacted by the coronavirus. A lot of people have lost their jobs or um, have had family members who have contracted the virus. That's a very helpful provision to have now. Um, and as a separate measure, the CARES Act, and this is sort of a, this is probably the biggest measure, the biggest deal. The CARES Act also now prevent, permits up to $100,000 of coronavirus-related distributions from qualified plans or IRAs just as a distribution, not as a loan. And it wouldn't be subject to the 10% early withdrawal penalty. And normally, if you take money out of an IRA, you have to put it back in within 60 days to avoid taxation, that once-a-year rollover rule. But now you have actually anyone who does that, and you have to take the distribution before December 31st, but anyone who elects to make such a distribution, again, up to $100,000, would actually have three years to repay the money, not 60 days. So much longer. So what it amounts to, if you think about it, is basically an interest-free loan from a retirement account. So for people who have you know, lost paychecks or who have, high, have accumulated high interest credit card debt, this may actually be a, a wise idea to take some money out. Um, now, there are a couple of things that people should be aware of that provision, though. Um, one, the, the rules under the CARES Act say it's, it's for coronavirus-related distribution. It's got to be for something. So a family member is, the obvious examples are some, a family member who's had coronavirus, you've been laid off because of the virus, some financial hardship because of the virus. The rules are actually sort of intentionally vague. And I think they're being interpreted 
relatively loosely that the um, IRS or the Treasury Department isn't going to challenge many of these, but consumers should be aware that technically it is supposed to be coronavirus related. And there is the possibility that you might be subject to taxes and penalty for having done it too, if it's not for something coronavirus related. Um, the other thing people should be aware of, and the idea of taking an interest-free loan is very attractive, but you should also be aware that if you take that money out of your retirement plan, it's not available to be earning money for you either. And if it takes you a few years to repay it, well, that's money that it wasn't invested and maybe you might be missing out on gains in the account too, uh, which that's a, actually a big deal. That's often a common argument against taking 401k loans. Um, the other thing that people should be aware of, if they do take that distribution, it's still taxable each year. Uh, one third of it will be taxed each year. Um, if you repay it all by the end of the third year, you actually can get a refund for that tax money paid. But if, if you took out $100,000 and it has to be done before 1231-2020, uh, you'll be taxed on one you know, $33,000 plus of income in the 2020 tax year. You'll get a 1099-R showing that distribution to you. So. Um, but uh, nonetheless, that's a, 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 that provision gives much greater flexibility to people than anything we had before. A um, couple other noteworthy. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry, I mean you're here. No, no, no. That is just <laughs> a ton of information, and I don't know how you keep track of it all. Now you've given us a year by year history of some of the important tax rule changes over the past four years that affects millions of customers. But I suspected that most of our audience can benefit from knowing at least some of these rules. Now, earlier you mentioned that you would give us a summary by topic. Can you do that now? Um, I, I think we're probably going to be running out of time on that. Um, I will. Um, I want to mention just a couple more on the CARES Act. Um, the oh, CARES sorry. Act, yeah. That's, that's something good. Just a few little things. I just want to make sure I get them in. Um, it eliminated required minimum distributions from retirement accounts for people over 72 or 70 and a half for the 2020 tax year. It also instituted a new $300 above the line charitable deduction for people who don't itemize their returns. So um, to encourage a little bit of charitable giving. And there's also an exclusion um, for employee income of certain employer payments of up to $5,250 to an employee or a lender for, um, for uh, educational loans, as long as the, the, the plan has to have had a qualified assistance program in place. But um, it's another way to get employees income that's not taxable um, to pay off student loan debt. So that's, that's uh, another good thing. But um, yeah, in terms of summarizing, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure we have, I have time to go all of that. It's a lot of ground to cover. Um, but I think what, what is a good idea to make sure, I just want to make sure we do get this in, um, is that this year in particular is a great year for consumers to meet with their tax, their CPA this year. I mean, a lot, if, if you wait till tax preparation time in March or April of next year, um, you just, uh, probably aren't going to be able to do much for the prior year. So, and this, I think it's true every year. I think there's an expectation sometimes when people go to their CPA, they're expecting to get all this tax planning guidance that I just gave them. If, if I feel awful for the CPAs often, because you, you've got tax, the tax window from January 1st to April 15th, you got 250 or 300 or 500, however many ter- returns they have to prepare. There's no time for tax planning guidance in there. It's tax return prep time. The yeah. ideal time to meet is you know, this time of year, where it's a little bit slow between November and early December even is a great time to meet to do tax planning for the current year and also for the next year. So um, that is great advice, Jr. And and so as long as we're on the subject, what yeah. planning advice do you have for consumers that may be timely in terms of the actions you just mentioned one to take before the end of the year? 
Um, yeah, so some of the things that would be on my, on my radar would be to um, ask your CPA about uh, taking advantage of the uh, three, new $300 above the line charitable deduction. Um, ask if, um, if it makes sense to make um, charitable gifts in 2020 from IRAs for people, even, you know, even if you're over 70 and a half and you had to take, didn't have to take a required minimum distribution this year, you can still make a qualified charitable um, distribution. So does it make sense to do that with your IRAs? That's certainly a conversation to have now. Um, if your income was anomalously low in 2020, or you think it might be low in 2021 as well, you might ask whether it makes sense to convert some of your pre-tax IRA money into um, Roth accounts, you know, after-tax Roth accounts. Um, that is to pay the tax on the money now without penalty and convert it to a Roth IRA where you can let it grow and eventually uh, withdraw it tax-free. And um, and by the same time, even, even to ask your CPA, and this is a conversation I've been actually having a lot, um, but ask your CPA if it makes sense to make, if you're participating in a retirement plan or you're, you're eligible for a IRA or Roth IRA contribution, does it make sense to make after-tax contributions instead of pre-tax contributions? So after-tax contributions either go to a Roth IRA or to a Roth 401k account or, or, or you know, qualified Roth account in whatever retirement plan you have. Um, or pre-tax, you know, most of the advice from last 30 years is encourage people to make pre-tax contributions to their 401k or deductible contributions to IRAs. Um, and the idea is that that makes sense if you expect the future income tax rate to be lower than it is now. But like I said, there's a, there's a, a number of reasons, non-political reasons, why we might be reasonable to expect higher income tax rates in the future. And we already know that the tax rates to beneficiaries are probably going to be higher. So the... Um, yeah, these days that conversation people are having is maybe I should stop making those pre-tax contributions to my 401k and instead make it to Roth accounts. I mean, it's funny, you're not, you're not saving money on taxes now, but it might be a cheaper way to save for retirement than the, the um, pre-tax contribution. So that's a, a, probably a, one of the most important conversations people ought to have with their financial planner and, and with their CPAs. Very um, good point. Yeah. So yeah, there's a, there really are a uh, the challenge in this program is to is to cover you know, lots of different little tidbits and rules that people might not be aware of that might be applicable. And as I was preparing for the show, and as even as we're going through it right now, I'm finding that it's you just can't get it all in. I mean, some of these things are require some explanation, and I, I feel badly that in some cases I may be glossing over things a little too much. But the bigger takeaway is that there's lots of lots of potential opportunities, and I guess to say it another way, either brush up if you're if you're on the do-it-yourself side, brush up on the tax code yourself. Just go through the provisions of, just, just like I did to refresh for this show, look up what the provisions were for the SECURE Act, look up what the provisions were for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, look up what the provisions were for the, um, for the CARES Act. And you can, they're not hard to find. I mean, you can, you can go to the IRS code yourself, and that's probably a little bit harder to sift through or to law review articles. But Publications like Forbes and Kiplinger's have done nice summaries of the key, key elements and the key benefits. Look them up and see if there are opportunities for you. And even if you're, even if you're not doing it yourself, ask, bring these things up with your financial planner. Um, bring them up with your CPA and, um, and see, are there other opportunities to save that? And like I said, to, to grab that low hanging fruit there, if there's ways to save money and you're not taking advantage of them just because you don't know the rules, that's, you know, that's, that's where, that's what the show is designed to help you do. We make, find more opportunities like that. 
So. Yeah, and you've been doing that throughout the show. You've been talking about past tax laws. How about, do we, I think we have just a little bit of time to talk about okay. the f- potential future tax law changes that our listeners might wish to keep an eye on under the new Biden administration? Um, yeah, so I can tell you some of the things, though. I'm always careful. I really don't like to talk about politics at all. And you can see I I'm trying, I don't, yeah, trying not to favor it here. But what, but one of the things that I try to say is that there are, it's, it's not really my lens that I have to look thing through, through for is for my clients. I don't really care whether it's, yes. I'm just, how do I minimize taxes? And not, not, it's not necessarily the best tax policy for the country. All I'm look, focusing on what's best for the individual consumer. So that's keep, that's the lens that I'm looking through. So I'll tell you some of the things that, um, um, we might look forward to. I don't know if that'll happen or not, but we might expect um, perhaps the, ex- the some of the CARES Act provisions to ex- be extended to 2021. Sort of depend, like we we now we think that there's a big breakthrough possibly in coronavirus, so um, vaccinate vaccine. So maybe that will be, not be necessary, but that's one thing that might happen. Um, some of the things that worry me in in uh, potential tax law changes is some of the, the provisions of undoing of the tax cuts and jobs act. So I think um, what worries me is the potential increase of the corporate income tax um, that, that obviously hurts companies. It just, it's reduction in the bottom line. It just a, lowering the tax was direct profit back to the pro- bottom line. Um, so going the opposite way is the opposite. Um, I think the potential for increases in the long-term capital gains tax rate and qualified dividends to match ordinary income tax rate that gets proposed a lot that could possibly happen. Um, again, that's not good for the people for whom I work. Um, the elimination of the step up in basis on inherited assets uh, it's, it's something that has been tossed around a little bit too. I think that there may be subject to income limits, but either way, that's a, a thing that makes me nervous. Um, see that in Hawaii a lot where you know, somebody paid a $50,000 for a house that their parents bought like in the 1960s and now it's worth a million and a half and you'd prefer not to have to pay capital gains tax on the sale of that house when you inherit it. Um, so that's one of the things I worry about. Um, and also, we just—I talked about it briefly—but the dramatic lowering of the estate tax exemptions, uh, estate and gift tax exemptions—that worries me. Um, and the sunsetting of a, a lot of the provisions in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act at the end of 2025. So these are all things that should be in the planning conversation now. Um, you know, these are conversations to have with a financial planner, to have with the CPA, to have with the estate tang, planning attorney. Definitely. Um, other that things is that are great, great oh, advice. Yeah. <laughs> JR, I know you're not taking on any new clients right now, and that this program is not intended to drive new business to either Financial Planning Hawaii or to Nest a Guru. But can you please share with our listeners some of the ways in which our listening audience can follow your content, especially since you had so much information and uh, there could have a lot more to a uh, lot more inter- information to follow. Sure. So. Um, uh yeah, the whole program of purpose is to educate consumers and, and we don't have any really profit agenda here. Um, the, I these, if people want to follow my content that you can subscribe to my newsletter, just go to the financial planning Hawaii website at fphawaii.com. Um, hit the subscribe button in the upper right-hand corner. It's free and no one will ever solicit you. If you just, just, you can keep track of the content that I share with my clients. It's, that's the easiest way to do it. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, Email me directly at info at fphawaii.com. That's info at fphawaii.com. 
JR, you were absolutely amazing this afternoon. You gave our listeners so much information. You've been listening to My Two Cents with financial planning expert J.R. Robinson. Our topic today was time to rethink tax planning in portfolio management. And I'm Jessica Lonnie-Rich. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to My Two Cents. Be sure to join J.R. Robinson and Jessica Lonnie Rich again next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, aloha. Aloha.